This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is keeping cool despite many who are panicking. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me this week, as always, the redoubtable Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? I'm very good, Captain. How are you? Mate, I'm excellent, unlike most of the rest of the financial world, which has lost its complete... We can't say that word. It's lost its marbles, mate. It's lost its stuff. It's lost its mind because, well, coronavirus. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I've got a question on that. You know, how can I someone... haven't finished the intro to it. I know, I know. But it, it's like it's one of those things where <laughs> I'll forget this. But how can somebody uh-huh. without marbles lose yes. their marble? That's a good... You can think about that. that. That's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, you can't go mad twice, so I'm probably okay with that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, can we move on? Yeah, let's Thank move you. on. All right. We're also going to talk about a little bit more macro. The US Fed is possibly, maybe, going to cut interest rates yet again, not long after they're increasing them. We'll talk about Treasury's cheap wine headache, one of the best headlines I've seen for a very, very long time in the SMH. And because I have to, because I'm obliged to, to keep you around, I'm talk about the Apple earnings, I suppose, if I have to. And more importantly, we'll get back into... The deep, wide, and very, very full still, despite our desperate efforts to reduce the quantity, we'll duck into the full mailbag. Let's get on with it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate. So the headlines are all about, all about coronavirus, the outbreak of the SARS-like disease in China. Currently, I haven't even seen the most recent numbers, but 1,000 and something cases, I think, from memory, was the last number I saw. 8,000 plus. 8,000? Yeah, something like that. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty... It's, it's, it was 700, then it was 1,000 was the last number I saw. Well, I th- whatever's the number, it's now more it's than... It's big, and it's more than what it was for SARS. Yes. Now, the breaking news this morning as we record at just, uh, just before 10 o'clock on Friday morning, the 31st of January, happy last day of the month, uh, is that it is officially now an emergency, according to the World Health Organization, who finally belatedly come to the party and realize this is a big deal. Funnily enough, though, mate, that was cue for the US markets not to freak out... But actually, jump on the news. The markets were down overnight. You were up at some ungodly hour when you Skyped me this morning. And the markets were down. And then WHO says, hey, guys, it's an emergency. And the market goes, oh, great. Up go the shares. Speaking of losing marbles, mate, I've, I, I sent an email around about this this week. Um, I am absolutely sure, as much as I can be, this is another false panic. Do you agree? Oh, I do. I mean, well, well I, I partially do. I'm going to hedge my bets here. <laughs> you, I never want to. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the virus. You know what I mean? Um, but like, by in terms of statistics, right? I mean, the the death numbers so far, yeah, you know, are far fewer than I guess the number of people who die on the roads, the number of people who die of common cold, or or influenza. The, um, yeah, that kills. You know hundreds and thousands mm-hmm. of people around, you know, both in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere during the wintertime, for mm-hmm. example. So those things happen, uh, unfortunately. And this one, I think people are just worried because, uh, well, I shouldn't say just, but people are worried because <laughs> the, uh, you know, the variant is is supposedly novel. And um, I think the worry is that, you know, is it from animal to human? And then, you know, what is the rate of, you know, uh, spread from human to human? I think the other big deal here is the... Uh, they spread um, during incubation period, so not when people are, you know, showing symptoms, which makes a little right. bit. It makes the job of screening and quarantining a little bit harder. 
Um, well, it makes quarantine almost essential, right? You can't say, oh, you've obviously got the virus over here, you go. Yeah. You've got to kind of say, well, you may or may not, and for safety's sake, we need to be careful. Yeah, and, and that has impact on right. jobs, people, economy, and, and so on and so forth. So I'm kind of a little bit... Worried. I'm, I'm actually quite happy, and uh, you know, to, that uh, the WHO has actually uh, finally woken up and said this is an emergency. Because mm. I think the, the quicker people realize that this needs action um, and coordinated effort, the faster I think we'll find a resolution and we'll come to a you know we'll we'll be probably able to arrest the situation before it gets worse. Yeah. So in that sense, I think the market's reaction actually you know probably makes sense that okay, market is you know <laughs> taking a sigh of relief, saying okay, mm. fine, you guys have. Finally, you know, realize that this needs um, <laughs> a coordinated effort and, you know, let's get on with it. So, so uh, yeah, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Oh, yeah. Look, I, here's the thing, right? This, and this is, well, so, and the question probably, the next question is, okay, what are you doing differently investing-wise? That's the, that's the better question. Yeah, but, you know, the, the better answer is probably nothing, right? Okay. Uh, largely because, um, I mean, such things happened, right? SARS happened, it passed, and... Yeah. Did, did anything really happen? Nothing really, right? Right. Um, uh, there might be some opportunities, actually, if you think about, uh, like, and if you want to be opportunistic and, you know, you want to really do something, then I guess, you know, like a travel stocks, for example, mm. are beaten down because mm. people think travel is going to be hurt and they will be hurt in in over the short term, mm. but over the you know over the long term, the travel should you know should a trend off the growth of the markets. Mm. You know, if you if you if you're investing in an online travel company or online, you know, um, uh, what's like an OTA for example, mm. uh, online travel agent. I mean, then you're you're basically buying it for the growth in that sector. God, we love an acronym, don't we? OTA, online travel agent. That's great. I love I love I love. <laughs> I'm all about acronyms these days. <laughs> TLAs, uh, as I like to call them, three letter acronyms. It, <laughs> it makes me. L- seem smart. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's, it's all about seeming, right? <laughs> a, a massive tangent, and I'm, I've got justified to do this one, by the way. I'll, I'll tell you why later. Um, it, it, jargon is one of those things, right? So if you're listening to this podcast, you're not, a, you're not a, a, an experienced investor, and many people aren't. Don't be put off by the jargon. Jargon is used by, it's originally used by people because it's a shortcut, right? If I know an acronym, I don't have to say the whole phrase, whether that's in medicine, whether it's law, whether that's finance, or anything. even in your own industry, I'm sure there are terms that apply to your industry that you don't have to explain in full because it's just easier to, to use shorthand, right? Makes perfect sense. The problem is over time, it then becomes a bit of a, a shield, a bit of a wall against intruders because, hey, if you don't know this term, then I am the only one who knows it. And so you've got to pay me if you want the real inside goss. So generally speaking at the full, we try desperately to de-acronymize. That's now a word, Doc. De-acronymize. <laughs> you can use that. Um, de-acronymize the, the finance industry because we, we want to democratize. We want to make it available to everybody. Uh, and where we can, if we're not doing it, by the way, call us out on that. We try and be as simple as, as we can, although as Einstein said, as simple as possible and no simpler because some things do require some complexity. Uh, but if we can, we'll always try and get rid of that. That was a tangent, dude. Sorry, go on. Well, so, so, okay, so uh, online travel agencies are OTAs, as you'd find them. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of them have been sold off, uh, right, right. you know, whether here or, or you know, locally in the, on the SX or overseas. I mean, you know, if you're looking, if someone was thinking about buying them, mm. you know, two weeks back, now it's probably an opportunity to buy them cheaper, right? So I mean, such mm. op- you know, there's there's gonna be opportunity like that uh, available. There might be some other opportunities that are you know, say China specific, where right, right. Um, you know we have a, a bunch of companies on the ASX, for example, that have a decent enough exposure to uh, the Chinese market, right? And mm-hmm. the worry might be that you know because of shutdown the requirements mm. in, in China that you know people actually stay at home and work from home. <laughs> right. Well, if you're a consumer discretionary company selling um, into the Chinese market, that kind of makes it hard for you know your year over year compared 
marriage might actually look a little worse mm. um, than people might expect, right? Um, so those sort of things, I think, again, you know, if you believe that things are going to work out as mm. they mm. most often do, then this is uh, an opportunity in that sense. So, yeah, that would be my two cents. Yeah, I think that's right. Look, I, 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 all I will say is that there will be so black swans are black swans, right? There's a whole story behind that. The idea was originally back in the day, swans were only white because that's all Europeans knew. They knew white swans. They came to Australia and went, oh, there are black swans. And so the idea that the unexpected, the definition of swan was white, you know, large duck goose thing. That wasn't the official definition, I'm sure. The uh, biologist had a better one, but I'm going to go with that one. Uh, all of a sudden, there was a black swan, and that was the unexpected, right? Something that no one thought could happen. Those things happen. They always have happened. They always will happen. And at some point, someone's going to blindside you with it, right? That's going to happen, guaranteed, sure as night follows day. But there are 20, 30, 40 times as many potential black swans as the ones that actually end up being problems. And I think that's kind of how you need to approach investing, right? You need to, if, if, you, if you sold with every possible risk, you would never, ever be invested, ever. There's always a problem. There's always a risk. There's always a reason. So you've almost got to say, look, I know there'll be black swans. I also know that 20, 30, 40 times as, as often... There'll be potential black swans that never happen, and you've just got to invest anyway. And that's always been my approach. That continues to be my approach. The, the safest bet, because it's a probability game here, is that this won't be economy destroying. It won't be company destroying. It may be a short-term issue. It may be a non-issue altogether when it comes to economic growth. But either way, invest anyway has got to be the result, right? Yeah, I think so. Like I've been investing a lot over the long term in good companies. actually works. Let's talk about some bad news then. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, I promise you some bad news, Doc. I'm not sure whether this qualifies or not, but the US Fed, apparently, you told me this morning, I had missed this story somehow. Um, I'm not an inveterate Fed watcher, but I do normally try and keep abreast of these things. Apparently, the US Fed is going to cut rates again. Or So you tell me this morning. Well, the US Fed basically didn't, well, they didn't quite say they're going to cut rates. They basically okay. put the rate on watch, saying that, look, the US economy is actually doing very well. And the US economy is really doing well. I mean, it's growing. It's growing. Unemployment is very low. Historic mm. lows. Inflation is relatively under control. I mean, if anything, they probably want a little bit more inflation. Right. Um, but... Uh, what uh, Jeremy Powell is basically saying that, look, you know, we are doing fine. The rest of the world kind of looks sick. So, um, you know, and now there's this coronavirus which is making people sick. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got that problem. Uh-huh. And and therefore, uh, you know, global growth engine might, um, you know, global global growth is is problematic, which has mm. which is a problem because a lot of, you know, American enterprises, for example, um, are global. They get a lot of their revenue from, you know, global mm. sources. Mm. And, employ a lot of people in the US and things like that. So I mean this is all interconnected in a in a in a global sense. So I think that that is the watch here that in, and I think it specifically singled out um this uh the manufacturing index or the the PMI, whatever it is, mm, like, you can explain performance that. Performance of manufacturing, a purchasing manager's index. Yeah, pur- purchasing, purchasing manager's index. In other words, yeah. the intention of companies to buy more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's what I think he, they are watching, uh, <laughs> whether that is bouncing back from mm-hmm. the the lows. Um, it's a little bit of a, you know interesting thing that, you know, there's, there's, I think the Fed has always had a had an international uh, outlook as well because of the, just the global nature of the economy. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of focus on what's going on outside versus what's going on inside. So, mm. yeah, I'm, if I had to make a bet, I'd say the chance of a rate cut is pretty low, but the chance mm. of a rate increase are also pretty low. So, basically, <laughs> I, I would go with a hold based on what, I, what I'm reading. But, uh, yeah. 
Mate, I'm a simple man. I still, for the life of me, I, I, I'm obviously either very, very wrong or eventually I'm going to be very right and a whole lot of other people are going to be very wrong. I'm not sure which. I, for the life of me, can't work out why the hell the US is such a, in such desperate straits to cut rates. I mean, these are it's above trend growth. It's, it's very, very strong growth. In any other environment, a central bank would be saying, she thinks we're a bit above average. At best, we're going to hold. We're probably even leaning towards contractionary policy, i.e. raising rates over time, because we want to keep growth in a in a sustainable band, right? Too low, things slow down too much, unemployment rises. Too hot, and you create the conditions for a, the next collapse, right? You get everything way overheated, and you have to raise rates either to slow it down or the economy implodes by itself, and you have to drop rates to, to fix it up. But either way, it's not... Traditionally, historically, these aren't the conditions that, that are rate-cutting conditions. It just... I, I'm... I'm not sure why my I'm so out of step with central banks, with with economists, at least some economists. I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I think the uh, my view of that is that I think the fundamental economy overall in the last you know the economy changes slowly, but it mm. does change. I'm no economist, but my guess is that you know we had a computer revolution, then we had an internet revolution, then we had a web revolution, then we had an online revolution. I think these things have fundamentally changed how the economy works from you know the manufacturing mm. and mm. building and you know steel making and all those sort of things, mm. and and I think therefore. Um, a lot of lot of work has become distributed and therefore global things mattered a lot more. In, in mm. terms of like, you know, US being in a good place, US is, is at a good place. But, you know, if uh, all of these things also probably mean that unemployment numbers can be potentially lower. Mm. Um, you know, somebody could be employed pretty much by sitting at home, right? So, I yep. mean, if you, if you think about it in that sense. Mm. So, I think their goal probably is to maintain that unemployment number around that 35 to 4% right. rate. And therefore, I think it fundamentally means slightly different policies versus what was done in, say, the, you know, the first half of the 1900s, I guess. So, here's my thing. I get all that. I completely agree with that. With the exception that I don't think the policy is, is monetary policy. There's not interest rates in my mind. I mean, as you say, yes, absolutely things have changed. Other government policy should be dealing with that rather than the policy which is designed in part for unemployment, absolutely, but also in part for inflation and for economic growth. It just, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, we went through, so back, for those of us with longer memories, we went through this in the 80s. Alan Greenspan was a genius because it was low rates, less regulation, let the market do its own thing, which again sounds great in theory. Greenspan went very, very quickly from hero to villain because he basically sowed the seeds of what was effectively a US recession and the dot-com crash because too much easy money for too long actually caused more problems than it was designed to solve. I worry that we're forgetting history. I think, yes, I completely agree with you, by the way. There are policy responses required. I just worry this isn't the right one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like in my view, I think it, it, in the world right now, in the developed world, the best economy in the developed world is in the US. Mm. Um, and I think the other parts of the world actually need to wake up. Is is my view that you know the other parts need structural reforms, be it Europe, be it you know other parts of the world. Mm. Um, and I think what what the policies in the US basically reflect the inefficiencies in the other parts of the world. So I think if the other parts of the world catch up and make some hard decisions and hard choices, I mm. think, you know, uh, we might see the rates go up. I think this, to me, it's the fundamental weakness in lots of other parts of the world that that essentially says the rates are going to stay low. I don't know, that's what I think. We'll see. I hope you're right. I fear you might be uh, a little bit talked to us about the, the US success. I, I, I worry that we might be headed for another another uh, boom and then what follows that is unfortunately busts. No time soon, by the way, and again, as we said about coronavirus, I wouldn't change my investing as a result. I just worry that maybe we're getting a little bit too ahead of ourselves. Speaking of which, should we move on? Yeah, let's do that. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche.
Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, Doc, you told me that the US was a wonderful economy and everything was great in the US and all that kind of good stuff. And I want to believe you. The good people at Treasury Wine Estates would have a very, very hard time believing that story right now. One of my favourite headlines for ages, uh, maybe maybe even a couple of years, I think at least, was a headline in the Sydney Morning Herald that reads, Cheap wine leaves Treasury shareholders with a pounding headache. Now, we've all had, well, I would say all of us, but some of us, some in this room possibly, have had a little bit too much cheap wine from time to time in the, in the, in the past, to be fair, but still. And we still have a, um, well, a pretty good memory of some of those pounding headaches and wasted days <laughs> after the night before. Treasury having a terrible time of it. The shares fell 24%, I think it was this week, on news that the US business was causing it grief. This is the US economy you're telling me is going great. Their profit was down 17% in the US, apparently from too much competition. Um, well, you know, I don't follow this com- company very closely, but I, I have... have Come I on, have, the wines are good. <laughs> uh, but, but I have high-level thoughts to offer. <laughs> so, so one of the things I think is um, potentially... I mean, the the wine market is actually very competitive in the US, mm. right? It's very competitive in Europe. And it is not probably surprising that, uh, you know, Treasury is having a hard time there. Like, I mean, it's really up against, you know, the Californian wines and mm. it's up against the, you know, the French wines and things like that, and the Argentinian wines and the Chilean wines and things like that. So, um, you know, ultimately wine, I mean, there's some brand powers, but it's still a commodity product, right? I mean, you mm. can buy... Argentinian wine, a good wine, or you can buy an Australian good wine. And I mean, you know, like... The latter, clearly. Well, <laughs> but in this case, they're not buying. So, so I sure. think the... Uh, so, yeah, I think there's that. The other thing I would say is... Um, it Right now, if a company it can't get their U.S. strategy right, I don't know mm. when they're going to get their U.S. strategy right. This mm. is like, I mean, this is a larger question for any company out of Australia operating in the U.S. or anywhere else. If you can't do it now then I think it's going to be a hard battle at any point in time. Mm. Um, so those are like, uh, I, I think they're, um, from what I stand, I think for Treasury's execution, I think has been very good in China, for example, and they've been succeeding there, which, uh, you know, so maybe, maybe it's a question of, you know, having a resource at the right place and focusing on what is working and what is not working. And if, mm. the, if a particular market is too competitive, maybe, you know, it's better to leave that market to others to fight while you can focus on the growing growing market, which is the Asian market, right? And, and clearly, that's a very, very large market if you focus on that. So mm. that, that's my, I think, my my thought. I mean, with respect to the share price fall, I mean, the, the share price fall really, like, it's not that the company's not growing, right? It's just not growing at the rate people expected it, and therefore, it's basically a re-rating in terms of uh, valuation. Um, I mean, that, that stuff happens. It's not, I guess, it's not nice <laughs> when it happens, but... Does that stuff, it happens. Like, I mean, it happens to any company, you know, any company's stock could get mm-hmm. re-rated mm-hmm. because the growth was not uh, as high as people expected. Right, right, right. So, so I mean, from yeah, 25% sounds bad, but I mean, it basically means... <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, it is uh, well, it sounds bad, but I mean, I mean, the, the perspective here yeah. is that, you know, if, if, if the stock was trading at like 30 times earnings and, mm-hmm. you know, your earnings are coming a bit light, you get re-rated to like, you know, at 25 times earnings, I mean, still, is a pre- you know... Mm. Um, it's a premium multiple because you have growth somewhere else. So, mm. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, we, we were talking about this, but had they been executing successfully in the US, we wouldn't be complaining. So, I mean, you know, I wouldn't blame them for trying. Why right, wouldn't right, you try? Right. You would. 
Uh, but maybe you need to know when you know when it's not working or what you need to change in your strategy. That's like that's, that's my like you know view from the, afar. So I don't blame anybody for trying. I think they should try. It's a fascinating one, right? So I'm a treasury shareholder up front. Put that out there. I'm um, also not not super unhappy with the rest of the business, as you rightly point out. So it's a, it's one of those ones where. You know, we talk about businesses being the sum of their parts, and I think it is really worth breaking this up. The, the the very ugly reality is that they are confronting much, much cheaper wine competition in the US. And one of my favorite investing lines that I'm pretty sure I come up with, but if I didn't, apologies to whoever came up with it first, you are only as profitable as your least rational competitor allows you to be. Now, I can probably wordsmith that to make it a little bit sassier, a little bit kind of cooler. The idea there basically is if everyone else is selling their wine cheaper than they were last year, you really have only two choices. You either lose volume because they're not going to buy your wine or you drop your prices and you compete on price, in which case the sacrifice is margin. There really is no third option, right? Unless you are so unique, so premium, so differentiated that people will buy your stuff what, no matter what. And frankly, there's so few of those around the world. Like maybe the Rolls Royces, maybe the Bentleys, but even then I don't know that, you know. iPhones. No, that's the thing that, you know, at some point people don't buy iPhones if, if the other phones get cheap enough, right? There's there's a there's an elasticity of demand, as they like to say in the economics profession, where there, there's just simply a point at which things change. There's very few you simply can't respond to. If every, if every other smartphone was $99 tomorrow, I don't think there'd be as many iPhones sold. Now, I'm not saying there'd be none, and let's not get into the Apple conversation. We'll do that in a minute, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, the uh, you know, there's just an elasticity there, right? You have to either respond with price or volume. You don't have a choice. And Treasury got absolutely whacked there. And as I said, it's, that's the airline story. It's plenty of other industries as well. Why is the US all of a sudden more competitive than it used to be? I think you're right. It's been competitive. It always is. And, and you're right there. But for some reason, there's a whole lot more wine dumped in the US at cheaper prices. You've either got to say, well, let's play that game or else let's not. I don't really know where Treasury ends up on that. And as you say, mate, I wouldn't be very unhappy at all to see them exit the US market because I just don't... You know what? I don't love their brands in there more importantly than anything else. So the Australian brands that are sold in Australia and China, big, big business. The US brands were nowhere near as cool or as kind of grounded in, in history as, as some of the Australian wines. They are to some degree. I don't want to badmouth the lot. So there's that. And then, as I said, the, I mean, the, they they had 19% profit growth, I want to say, in China. The Australian business is going along reasonably nicely. If you kind of break that up, I mean, for me at least as a shareholder, and we've recommended the stock, so we got whacked this week. I'm, I got whacked both ways. Um, but this story has always been the China story, and I'm pretty happy to see that at least remain intact. If we had America up 19% and China down 17% the other way around, I'd be much, much more worried than I am at the moment. Yeah, I don't have anything really to add to that. I, I think that that's a fair assessment. I think, yeah, the China business, business is anyway bigger than the, the US business. Yeah. And um, it's growing phenomenally, right? It, it, yeah. If you, it, my, my view of Treasury is, is a very simple thesis, right? I'm a simple man. If you think out 10 or 20 years, I think there's a very, very, very good chance that a lot lot more Australian wine, and some degree Treasury is American wine, but Australian wine in particular is a thesis, sold in China. And if you believe that's true... It dwarfs the Australian business, dwarfs the American business at that point in time. Now, lots of things can happen. There can be more price competition in China. A whole lot of other things can go on. But that's the that's the kind of backbone of the thesis for me, at least. Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a fair thesis. Uh, yeah, if you know, if you if you look ten years and you think that there's going to be more wine consumption, substantially more, you know, a lot of lot more people moving into the middle class and things like that. Yeah, right. right. So, I mean, the the analogy I would give is that, you know, there, there are lots of things that, um, you know, China's consuming more today than they used to. Like, yeah, you know, there are yeah. more Nike shoes sold today in China than they were sold, you know, maybe probably 15 years ago. So Yeah, for sure that makes sense. Yeah, so that sort of idea, I think, implies. Very good. Do we have to move on? Oh, it's only up to you. I mean, I, I'm happy to keep talking about Treasury. <sighs> Uh, I mean, it's your choice. All right, we'll move on. We can, we'll we can talk on. a lot more about Treasury. I, I, I have lots of views <laughs> I'm on not Treasury. Sure, I'm not sure what's worse, talking about Treasury's losses or what I have to talk about next. 
Oh, it's up to you. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That sound you can hear is me being dragged, kicking and screaming to talk about a fruit company of some apparently decent size and, and success. Doc, what happened this week? Oh, the fruit company. <laughs> what can we say? Well, the fruit company... Uh, Tell me the story. You know, Captain is referring to as a small, little, little small company called <laughs> Apple out of Cal- Capitano in, in, uh, in California, which I love their address too. It's one infinite loop, which is awesome. You know, for those in, in, in the computing world would understand why that, that's, you know, the infinite loop is an awesome reference to a street. Um, well, the company just had record earnings, um, somewhere around $92 billion in revenue, oh, US. Uh, um, uh, that was only nine percent increase. That's so a small increase, but 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 <laughs> nearly five dollars in earnings per share in one quarter, which is up about nineteen percent. How does that happen? That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That is pretty impressive. A couple of things happened. I, can't, I think they had a low compare, <laughs> which helps. <laughs> it's always nice to come off a low base. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. So the, the previous you know, corresponding quarter <laughs> was not that great. Um, and uh, I think the new iPhone 11, uh, you know, with, the, with the price adjustments, and you know, as you referred to, you know, there is, there's only so much price you can increase, even if you're a premium brand like Apple. Uh, so they, oh, and some, they do have phenomenal... I, I've got to say, look, as a branded business, Apple's got one of the best and frankly most valuable brand premiums in the world. I can't think of many more products where you can charge yeah. a lot more for, for a brand the way Apple does. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So, yeah, so Apple's, you know, Apple uses his brand very wisely and it nurtures his brand very wisely. And, and for that, they can yeah. charge a premium, but, a premium. But even them, even even a premium brand like Apple had to adjust prices. Right. But, you know, it, it, the, the adjustment of prices is an interesting thing, right? You know, you can increase the price. The average selling price goes up, but the total number of units can go down. Yeah. Or you could reduce the price a little bit and, you you know, you sell a lot more in volume. And, and you could potentially, in theory, <laughs> make a lot more money because a lot more people are buying, right? And that's the beauty of elasticity of demand. That's, that's where pricing is so incredibly important. So, so I think, uh, yeah, that worked. And, and I think that has, you know, so the iPhone business basically went back to growth and the services business, which is basically, you know, things like iCloud, music, TV, all the subscriptions, um, you know, they're like, you know, they're really running in top gear. And the phenomenal thing was the wearables business, which is things like AirPods, um, and and watches, I mean, they're like killing it. So, I mean, Apple has a number of growth engines that, you know, people are sort of seeing that, well, you know, it's not just an iPhone story, it's an ecosystem story. Mm. And check out these phenomenal numbers, okay? the If there's one company that you have to call the subscription company of the world, it's got to be Apple. Mm. They have 480 million subscribers. 480 million, mm. up 100 million, I think, or in a year. <laughs> Okay. That's a phenomenal that, number, isn't it? You know, that, that probably is going to make every other company can think. You, can you imagine gaining 100 million customers in a year? Yeah, like, I mean, that's phenomenal, Just right? Incredible. Uh, there are some 1.5 billion devices out there now. Yep. So, so I mean, yeah, this you know, it's it's a it's a phenomenal base, and they're you know they're sort of using their base to you know increase the sort of stuff that they're offering. Well, and I mean, Apple's this is this is evidence of Apple moving from a hardware-based business, and maybe it never was, but for most people saw it that way, to effectively what we like to call again, speaking of analyst jargon, a razor and blade model. The idea of razor and blade model from Gillette and others is you sell a razor for a relatively inexpensive price because you know you're going to get keep selling blades month after month after month after month because you know you can't shave with the old blades and the handle you can keep for 
forever. So get people to buy the handle, the razor, and they'll buy blades forever. This is Apple's kind of morphing, and again, to some degree it always was, but the value of that those blades they're selling just keeps going up year on year. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So razor and blade model, but I think the other bigger big story is that you know they're doing they're buying back shares like anything, so the share count is decreasing rapidly, and that's also helping the earnings per share. Um, you know, point, yeah. as 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 a good friend of mine was saying that you know Apple could you know doesn't have to be a two trillion dollar company mm. to actually double its share price because right right right, right and, and that is a very interesting comment I think because and it's and, you know it's something that to keep in mind the rate at which Apple is buying the shares it actually doesn't have to be and I might actually lose my bet with you. <laughs> <laughs> good. I was thinking about that. Good. But I might lose my bet with you. <laughs> I don't care why. <laughs> and I might still come in ahead in terms of you know share price, but you know I'll might lose my bet about. Which company is going to be a two trillion dollar company? Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, again, phenomenally well-run business, awesome uh, brand, and yeah, totally love it. Again, I disclose full disclosure; it's, it's one of our larger holdings. So yeah, yeah, I, um, look, a phenomenal result. This is what well, yeah. To your point, mate, this is the uh, I've made a lot of mistakes as an investor. The biggest ones I've ever made are the ones I missed out buying, not the ones I bought that went down. I own Treasury. I've lost twenty five percent of my Treasury stake. Not a big deal. I mean, not great. And obviously, our members lost money, so it makes me pretty unhappy. But, you know, I missed it by Apple 150. It's now 300 and what? Uh, 320, 330, yeah, something so that, like that. I don't really that pay that much attention. That a whole lot more than loss on Treasury. You pay very close attention. Don't pretend you don't. I don't pay that much <laughs> attention. I do pay attention to the fact that I told you to buy many times. <laughs> you did. So, you know, and, this is, so the, and these are the big misses, right? I, I, there's a lot of companies, and we'll talk a little bit about another one, that I'm happy not to own despite share price gains because I, 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 kept, <laughs> I kept to my thesis and I kept to my investing approach, and that means I will miss some winners, and that's completely okay with me. Um, because you have to have an approach that works for you, and you'll you'll miss some winners, you'll you'll buy some losers, but overall, your strategy, if it works, works regardless. This one on Apple, I just I, I'm kicking myself. I still actually I've said to you many times. I don't even know why I didn't. Maybe it was inertia. Maybe it was that I pushed myself into a corner, being the anti Apple to your pro Apple. I don't know why. I just completely missed it. 150, 180 bucks. Um, just a stupidity, absolute stupidity. It was cheap. It was a high quality brand. All the things I would normally say. These are the sort of things you want to buy. I just didn't. More importantly, or not more importantly, but the, the growth in services is just phenomenal. This is going to underpin Apple for a very, very long time. There's only so many devices they can sell in a given year. The replacement cycle has slowed down. That's what the bears were worried about, and they were right. What they missed and what Doc knew about was the growth in the services, the subscription, the ongoing revenue that will underpin Apple for, I, I want to say decades really, but at least years. There's always more disruption potentially coming down the pike, but the strength of Apple now is, is yes, absolutely, it's... The hardware is the is the razor, absolutely, and it needs to keep that being worth buying. Otherwise, the blades don't count for much. But whatever the razor is, a high quality razor, the blades will keep coming in, and that's that's been a really really strong Apple story. Question for you, mate. Yeah. At the current price, mm-hmm. is it still a buy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think here's the thing. One way to look at Apple is the razor and blade, which is it's a perfectly fine model to look at. You know, I have never really looked at it either razor and blade okay. or as a hardware. And I think, you know, I think having a variant perception, my perception of Apple has always been that Apple is a beautiful uh, tool maker. It's a tool maker for a human-computer interaction world, okay. right? And unlike the other big tech giants, which, you know, promote stuff and, you know, advertise, oh, what we have, we have in the lab and, you know, what's, you know, what... <laughs> Apple actually is very secretive, hmm. right? So P- Apple never yeah, really famously. gets... Yeah. Famously secretive, right? Yeah. So Apple is going to go, you know, Apple would hire people to hide stuff, whereas everybody <laughs> else is trying to show stuff that right, doesn't work. Right. Look at us, right? look at us, yeah. yeah. So, you know, Apple never gets the benefit, oh, they're doing this in AI or they're doing that in <laughs> AI, you know what I mean. So I think if you, but if you fundamentally realize what makes Apple successful, it's the way to make the computer 
or anything that's like a computer interact with human beings. And that, I think, has a phenomenal runway. Mm -hmm. And the other thing to realize is consumer technology basically looks at Apple and says, okay, mm-hmm. if you do it, we mm-hmm. will follow. Mm-hmm. So, so nothing really happens in the consumer technology. Even if it's simple things like, you know, removing the headphone jack or, you know, making right, right, AirPods, right. right? You know, all of a sudden those toothpaste, you know, uh, <laughs> toothbrush type things hanging on people's ears. I mean, those are very popular now because Apple has made them popular, right? So everybody needs yeah. Apple to actually act. Yeah. That's a phenomenal market power, soft power to have because, you know, you get to set how the industry is going to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Right now, of course, can some disruptor come and disrupt them? It is always possible. But, you know, mm. at their scale, it's really hard because they really have to drop the ball really, really hard right. to actually miss out because they've got so much cash. They could just basically buy anybody, right? So, I mean, anybody that's going to threaten them, they could just, you know, scoop yeah, them up. Yeah. So, I think as long as they have got good leadership, I just don't worry about Apple. Now, tell me though, I mean, there, there's a price for everything. At some price in the theory, Apple's a sell, right? Like, even despite all those things you talked about, would you pay $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 for the shares? There's, there's got to be a price at which it's, well, it doesn't have to be, maybe if you tell me there's not, but I would imagine there's a price for Apple. It's not it's not got the sort of growth runway, that the kind of 10-bagger growth runway that other companies have got. So when you're already at one point something trillion dollar company, there's got to be a ceiling, doesn't there? Or, or no? Yeah. So like, you know, I think Apple is like, what, 25 times uh, price of earnings right now. Yep. I think like, you know, the way I, one way to think about Apple is to think of Apple as a consumer discretionary, high quality consumer discretionary brand. Yep. You know, something like Coca-Cola, for example, has a higher PE multiple, for example. So I think there's multiple expansion opportunity just there. And I think, mm. the, the you know, people have not yet caught on to that, that, you know, how stable Apple's revenues are, how stable Apple's cash flow, in spite mm. of it doing mm. it for 10 years like that. Mm. Um, so I think there's a room there. At some point, you know, if the PE became like 40, uh, I might consider trimming um, just to take some. But, you know, like at, at the current prices, I, I've, I still feel Apple is the cheapest sort of high quality blue chippy type of company you can buy just pretty much in the world like i mean you know mm. um just to use an australian example right i mean people are paying like 30 times earnings for woolworths yeah but i, I don't know that's necessarily i just to be argumentative for the fun of it i don't know that you should be benchmarking anything against woolworths overpriced shares right like it's it, it, we, we can't say well someone's paying a million times earnings for yeah, doc.com therefore anything below that is yeah, okay but, but ultimately i think you know here's the thing right I, I yes we shouldn't but i mean you know it's ultimately investing is a relative game right i mean we have to find relative if if we just assume that investing in the stock market is sort mm. of the best we can do, mm. then, and if I want to find a blue chip company, it's a relative, I think, game. Like, I mean, you know, people are paying, what, 25 times earnings for a treasury. I would say it's a, you know, far inferior quality company compared to Apple, right? Mm. I mean, mm. so I think, you know, like for me, like if I'm looking for a steady blue chip, you know, which is going to deliver me, you know, let's say 10% EPS growth, Apple comes way higher up. And therefore, I, what I'm trying to basically say is that I would think that that company should have a much higher multiple, but it doesn't. Which to me basically means that, you know, well, if you can do what, it's, what it does, eventually over time people will pay the fair value. I think they should be paying for it. Um, and so to, to hmm. me, it appears underpriced. I'm, um, not sure I'm, going, I'm not sure I'm going to agree with you, but I also don't imagine we'll end up with, uh, with, with, with agreement on this one. I think there's, if, if all of a sudden fell to 15 times, that wouldn't make any Apple any more overpriced at 25 than underpriced today because Woolies is at 30 in my view. There's a, there is absolutely a relative game, but there's also an absolute game for mine. If everything else was 40 times earnings, doesn't I mean Apple's justified at 39, right? There's got to be a, a price which is too much. Well, that's why I used Treasury as an example. As sure, I said, sure. I would buy Apple any day over Treasury. Sure. Right? And... But what, what price would you sell is what I'm asking you. Well, as I said, about 40 times, you know, okay. 40 times earnings, I would probably consider selling some. So there's an upside of about 80% from 75% from here. Oh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Very good. Good, time. good uh, opportunity to move on, I reckon. 
Pod. And I'm out back next, dude. Let's do it. Get excited. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. Now, I didn't. what I didn't talk about in the last segment was... We also had two other tech companies, and I want to kind of, I don't want to spend too long on this, I want to get to the mailbag, but Tesla, your favorite, and Amazon, one of mine, um, both reported and reported really, really strong results. Just give us a quick, a quick, very quick, I know this will be hard for you, headline on the Tesla numbers, mate. Well, the, you know, the Tesla ones were, I think, fantastic. I mean, I think the headline number to keep in, so they already, you know, production was up a lot, so they sold mm. a lot more vehicles than they sold uh, the prior year, which I think people knew about because it was pre-announced. I think the key thing there was a billion dollars US in one quarter free cash flow. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money coming through. <laughs> and this company is still in scale up mode, which means mm. that billion dollars is likely to be a lot more come future quarters. Right. I think it's well established that there is no Tesla killer out there, as bears have been saying. Mm. Uh, it has been now well established that Apple uh, Tesla can raise money <laughs> at whatever share price it really wants. Mm. Even if mm. the share price is really low, it can raise money. Mm-hmm. And I think... As as the as the company executes, basically that risk that can't raise money has is basically vanishing. Yeah. And 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 given that all the ICE manufacturers, the internal combustion engine manufacturers, are struggling with EVs, and you know their battery tech is really really um, old, um, oh, it hasn't even really started. Not even old. Right. right. <laughs> so so right. they don't even have battery yeah. tech. Um, and what they have is probably not exactly first rate, right, relative to Teslas. Yeah. So not even first rate. I mean, all of them are probably five mm. to ten years behind, like in mm. the, let's say five five years. And, and yeah, so I think this is a company that is really a new age company. This is what I call, you know, this is the, like the future Apple, a future Amazon um, uh, type company with, with a very invested CEO who has gone on record to say that I'm the first one in and I'm going to be the last one out. Um, yeah, so I think it's a great company with great results, great execution. A lot of short noise was there, FUD, as they say. FUD, <laughs> fear, uncertainty and doubt. I like yeah, that. Yes. A lot of FUD being created by <laughs> the short sellers. But, I, you know, I'm happy to see that, you know, there's a lot of short burn going on for a little while. <laughs> a bit of schadenfreude there. Mate, I'm going I'm to ask you to move on only because we have a limited amount of time and we have all the time in the world, but our listeners don't have unlimited time. So we will move on. You mentioned Apple and Amazon and Amazon was the third of those to report this week. I reported overnight. So again, this morning, not only was the uh, the coronavirus stuff confirmed, but also Amazon's results. Um, really quick top line, earnings per share, $6.47 a share. Market was expecting $4.03. So basically 50% beat. So shares are up at 12% after hours last I looked. Um, and revenue... And this is and this is a, so this is a bit company that has an eighty seven billion dollars in revenue. It grew twenty one percent. You think about companies. Now, I own shares. You own shares. So let's let's put that on the table. You also own Amazon and te- uh, sorry Apple and Tesla for the record. Um, these are just phenomenal numbers from a business that's already an eighty seven or is now an eighty seven billion dollar business growing at twenty one percent. It blows my mind. The same as you know you you talked about some of the some of the you know adding a hundred million. Uh, subscription members to Apple, when you can grow your business 21% to $87 billion, is phenomenal, phenomenal numbers. Um, look, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to put, well, this is going to be a part ad, right? So here's the thing. I, you, our listeners know by now, you're very invested in the US. Um, I want to say more than half of my portfolio was also invested in the US and probably larger when you include some of the uh, exposures that my companies have to US, the US markets, and unfortunately, including Treasury this week, but you know, um, I, I don't, I just can't express enough. I can't 
say strongly enough how important I think it is for Australian investors to be invested also outside Australia, right? And this is, I've been banging on about this for years, mate, absolute years. Um, you have too. This is, you know, Australia's 2% of the world's markets. For us as investors to have our entire portfolios, plus our entire super, plus our jobs, plus our houses, plus our family, plus effectively everything in Australia have no external investments, despite the fact that 98% of the world's capital markets are outside Australia, including Facebook, Netflix, Google, Tesla, Amazon, Apple, um, Nike, Under Armour, um, throw more at me, Colgate, Palmolive, Procter & Gamble. Johnson & Johnson. I mean, seriously, like if you, if you when you go home, if you're listening to this out, out, out from home, look around your house and just think about the products you use at Microsoft, the products you use and consume. Um, it, it, I think people are, I say mad, but I don't mean that necessarily in a derisive way, but you're crazy if you don't have at least started to look to invest in the US. Now, I so said this comes with an ad. Um, I don't apologize for that, by the way, because A, this is free, so hey, I think it's okay. But more importantly, actually, like, where I, I know you are, Doc, and I certainly am in this business to help people. I famously, as I said, took a pay cut. I think you might have too. I won't put words in your mouth. To join the fool because we love what we do and we love helping the people that we help. Um, and and for me, I mean, I, I was a customer of the fool before I joined. I joined because I wanted to be part of that story, right? Now, if you think about that and think about, okay, what can we best do to help our listeners, our members, our readers invest? It is about investing in the US. So I'm putting that out there, mate, because it's a really, really important thing for me. Um, whether you invest with us in the US, whether you follow our advice, whether you do it yourself, I don't really care. I mean, I'd love you to join us because I think we can help. But if you want to do it yourself, knock yourself out. But please have a think, a really serious think about investing in the US. If you haven't yet, please make today the day. Um, just get started because I think the Australian market will do great. But I also think the US market will do, if not even better, at least as well, and you'll get the benefit of diversification and some of the world's best companies. We talked about three already today. We could add another 25 without breathing. Um, so the reason I'm saying that, or well, the reason I'm saying this is I want you to do it. I'm also going to say that our one of our services, Share Advisor, which I run, uh, here comes the ad, so you know, be, be warned, but also have a, have a listen. Um, if you go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast, SA for Share Advisor, fool.com.au, SA podcast. We have a offer for our listeners. You can join Share Advisor. Not only do you get one Australian ASX rec every single month, we've done that now for close to 100 months, mate, which is kind of pretty cool. Almost 11, uh, 10 years? Yeah, getting close, end of the year. Yeah. The year. Uh, mm-hmm. So almost 10 years. Um, we get one ASX rec plus one bonus US recommendation every single month. We recommended Apple, we recommended Amazon, we recommended Netflix in the past. Netflix is up like, Thirty-four hundred percent or something stupid. Um, Only, yeah, it's kind of nice. Eh? Thirty-four <laughs> times in value. Uh, we got lucky in that one. It was we bought it literally at the very bottom of a mm. of a massive, massive um, uh, investor freakout. Yeah. yeah. So look, you know, please, if you're listening to this, I said, if you don't want to give us a go, go and invest in the US some other way. Take the advice we've already given you. I would say buy Berkshire and Amazon. I own both. Doc would, I'm sure, say buy Tesla and Apple. He owns both. Um, take that with the, whatever grains of salt you feel is necessary. Go and do it, please. And if you want some more advice and some more updated advice on new ideas, please go to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. Two recommendations a month, one from Australia, one from the US for a pretty bloody cheap price. And I think you'll find that the subscription well and truly pays for itself over the long term. I'll just quickly add that, you know, like for um, for the subscription, you get two market beating ideas uh, with a track record of 10 years. And I think that, you know, the track record of 10 years is, is it, it, it doesn't happen just like this, and then you know, and it you know, it, it, it is a track record of ten years, which is a decade long time, which is uh, which is not fluke. So I think that that really counts. I think yeah, you get two ideas for the price of one. Well, and it's a bloody, I, I, I don't. So here's, the, 
I, it's, it's probably, it's 199 bucks for a year, I think I want to say is the offer. And like, so four bucks a week, cost, cost of a cup of coffee. If you're investing any decent five-figure sum, it doesn't have to be a large five-figure sum, to not be able to cover at least that with the dividends alone, let alone maybe some earnings growth, maybe some profit growth, share price growth, some education. I mean, I'm massively biased, mate, but it, I don't know of any better value for money other than maybe extreme opportunities. We'll talk about that next week, your service. But for this week, uh, share advisor, just jump in. Have a go. If you don't, By the way, 30-day money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, send us an email. We'll give you your money back. Like It doesn't get easier than that. Sounds All good right. to me. I promised a mailbag, mate, so we better open Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We're known for tangents on this show, and as I said, I've been given permission to to go on tangents by at least one of our listeners. So uh, I do apologize a little bit for that one because we were supposed to cover that in the original segment, and I forgot, so we'd covered it then. Let's get into the mailbag, mate. The first one is from John Doe. We have an anonymous question. He said, please do not use my real name. I'm 25 and I've just started investing. But I'm a family who doesn't believe in the stock market as a real investment. They are real estate people. Fair enough. Uh, so we'll <laughs> happily it. keep your anonymity, John Doe. Um, he says, hey, I love the show and I've made sure to listen to all of the Mailbag episodes as they are a goldmine of information. Not to mention how great the more casual conversational nature you guys have is. Don't let people tell you to stop going on tangents. There we go. We've got permission, mate. Unfortunately, for an anonymous correspondent who I know, but we can't share his name, so... Our listeners may just think we're Joe blogs. <laughs> he says, my question is, with the recent <laughs> outbreaks of the coronavirus, why is the entire market losing value instead of just the directly affected business? I can understand why Webjet will have lower profits for a time, but some businesses are completely unrelated and yet a huge sell-off is occurring. I'm going to view this as a purchasing opportunity, but I'm confused nonetheless. Hope you can help. What can you tell Joe, mate? Or John? Well, we, we covered this a little bit at the beginning of the po- a podcast. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, um, uh, We're not very good at that. Oh, no, <laughs> that's, that's a small problem we've got. Yeah, so I mean, some businesses may appear that they are not directly affected, but mm. they could be affected. Like the example that I used is suppose you have a, um, no, suppose you're selling vitamins as an example, and just mm-hmm. use Blackmores as an example, right? And you're selling vitamins, and you know China is an important market for you. It is possible that you know people are not able to access the stores where uh, the vitamins are sold, or you're not able to distribute the vitamins into the stores that you want to distribute into because people have been told to stay at home, right? So. That's, that's a sort of right. temporary type of problem that can affect a bunch of other stocks or companies, yep. and and therefore the share price. You know, and sometimes the market, you know, and by no means the market is efficient, right? I mean, if the market was efficient, then you know, <laughs> then then, then well, we we wouldn't have jobs yep. <laughs> to start off with, yep. right? And and everybody would be just investing in indexes, <laughs> indexes. And yep. I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with index investing. Um, and, and and from Australia, probably you know, to get diversification, you can invest mm. in a couple of different in, indices. Indices. So, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm all for that, but I think. That's the thing. Now, market overreacts, and and some stocks, you know, there are you know flaw on effects, right? Yeah. So I think th- those are the reasons. There might be a third one, which is sometimes people just just sell off stocks for other reasons. So yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, three reasons. One is the company is affected directly, as Doc said. The second is that there's a general economic impact. If China's economic activity slows down, the world's economic activity slows down. That has got flow on effects to some degree. I agree with you, though, John or Joe, whoever we're calling you. Um, it is short term. The third is, as Doc's already mentioned, the market is irrational. People panic, and that is a great buying opportunity. I'm. I'm, look, as we said at the beginning, I'm not entirely sure this is definitely one. Nothing is ever definite. But on average, if you buy every time there's a panic, you'll make a lot more money than selling every time there is one. Let's move on to a question from Braden. Hi, guys. Just after your thoughts on investment loans, I currently have a mortgage on a house that I've been comfortably paying off by myself for the last two years. However, my partner has just moved in full time. Congratulations, Braden. 
apologies for your partner. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he said, I'd like to be diversified with our investing and I've thought about a few options. One, keep paying down the mortgage with her now contributing. Or two, take out an investment loan. I've been looking at the NAB Equity Builder product, no margin calls, and begin building a portfolio together. Do you have thoughts on investment loans such as this? Thanks, Brayden. And Matt, I've had a look at this NAB Equity Builder, so I'll have a, a, quick, yeah. a quick jump in. We'll try and keep these reasonably short. We've got so much to get through. Um, there might be a special announcement in a couple of minutes, so stand, stay tuned for that one. Um, Braden, I've had a look at the NAB Equity Builder. It seems okay-ish. So a couple of things. The rate's pretty good, 4.3%. You have to buy one of their preferred products, which is a managed fund or an ETF. We're okay with that, as Doc said. So that's that's positive. Both those things are positive. No margin calls, hugely positive. A couple of things. They can force you to sell your securities if you don't make a payment. They also retain ownership of it until the end of the loan term. And it may be harder to change investments than it might otherwise seem. So if you feel like you bought a bad product, a bad ETF or a bad managed fund, you want to change it, that might be difficult slash impossible to do. Um, so those are things just to be a little bit little bit careful of. I don't hate the idea of the NAB Equity Builder. I've got to say I kind of wanted to dislike it because I don't like margin loans at all for anybody. Um, I think they are... The great ideas in theory that, that frankly people screw up with in practice, even the best people with the best of intentions still manage to screw these things up from time to time and it's not worth your risk. This one does seem a lot better. The other thing is the interest rate can change. So it's not a fixed rate, it's a variable rate. And if you take out a three, five, seven or 10 year term, I mean, you know, I don't think rates will go up a lot by the way, but if you're thinking about how that might play out, it may be you may be in a situation where you have a higher rate all of a sudden you have to make good on that one. Um, so look... Uh, as with all these things, if you had, if I had the money now, rather than borrowing it, I'd invest it right now anyway. So you say, well, if I bring that forward by putting all my next 10 years worth of savings into today's investment, isn't that a better thing? Generally speaking, yes. NAB Equity Builder does. Frankly, seem better than most I've seen. Is it perfect? I don't think so. Um, just be very, very cautious because of the behavioral issues rather than the product structure itself. Doc, any other thoughts? We've, been, we've done the investment loans a few times. Any other thoughts? On no, that I really, I haven't looked at this product really, so I, I really have nothing to <laughs> offer other than what I think what you said sounds absolutely right to me. Very good. Let's move on in the interest of time. A question from Chris. Hi, Scott and Doc. Love the podcast. Now, he says, my question is about balancing salary sacrifice. To put it in perspective, my annual gross income is a little over 90K, well done, with dividends and bank interest. I've been salary sacrificing 100 bucks a week into super to bring me in the, to the lower tax bracket. I'm also 26 and don't have private health insurance, bringing the Medicare levy surcharge into consideration. Now, I will say before you even start answering this, uh, we can't give personal advice. So the more information you give us, the harder it is to answer in a general term, but we'll do our best. It says, I'm interested in the panel's thoughts on how I'm currently handling this and how I should handle it in the future when my dividend payments and bank interest will continue to rise. I'm happy to salary sacrifice part of my salary into super, but I wonder to what extent. I wonder if that money, once it reaches a certain value, will be better put to use by me now instead. I trust to make it onto the podcast since it's being asked to Instagram. Hey, hey. He's a big fan of the show either way. Chris, that's an instant question, mate. How could I not ask it? Of course, it's going to make it on the podcast. Are you on Instagram yet? No. I, I'm not a fan of any Zuck product. You yeah, know that. There was, there was a hashtag, get an earbun onto Instagram that was going around Twitter earlier this week. I'm, eventually, it's going to... So if you, if you like the hashtag, just send us a message. Hashtag, get an earbun onto Instagram. See how we go. Uh, mate, your thoughts on the idea of salary sacrificing more or less um, using super, outside super, what would you do? 
Well, in general, the idea of salary sacrificing is is good. I mean, because it's a kind of forced saving that, mm-hmm. you know, you get a lower tax um, up to the limit, right? So up to the, I think it's 25,000 is the total that you can have per person in, the, that, yep. in the current sort of the age bracket that he's talking about. Yep. Yeah, so that I mean, you know, you pay less tax on it. Um, you put it away, which is which is really a great thing. Correct. But but there's a flip side. I, I want to point out the flip side, right? It sounds great to put it away too, but at the same time, you kind of don't have it, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have it until like you know you're retired, basically, right? And that's, yep. right now that's sixty five. And the other thing is that the government might. No, somebody changed the rule. <laughs> Make it 70 if they want yeah. to, right? So, the old uh, preservation age. So at the moment, uh, you, you kind of can't get the pension to do 67. Super has some funny rules around how much you can take out when. You can take it a bit earlier than that. But again, as you say, Doc, if you're 20, was he 26 now? Yeah. 40 years is a long time to trust the government won't change the rules, right? Yeah. So a lot can happen in 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's a balancing act. Like, you know, I have done salary sacrificing in the past. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, I don't do it right now. That's, mm-hmm. you know, my, my way of current thinking. But, you know, I think like, people need to really weigh this and think through, like, what are the pros and cons? Uh, like, I, I'm not trying to, I'm actually not mm. bagging super anyway. I think super yeah, is total. fantastic. Yep. I think as a as a product for the country, for people, it's awesome. But I think people need to kind of decide what works for them. I think that's what I would say. And, you know, again, th- this really is like, you know, he needs to consult yeah. Um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> an advisor to really and you know see what is actually going to work for him. Yep, I'm going to echo your thoughts. Uh, I love soup. I think it's wonderful. I think it's way too good, by the way, for the country. So if you're an individual and you want to take advantage of the tax break, by all means, do it. Um, I would argue against worrying about the tax brackets specifically, Chris. I would exclude anything about tax from your consideration of I mean, the lowest or highest tax bracket. Um, the incremental difference between a lower bracket in your current bracket is probably a couple of cents in the dollar. Now, don't pay it if you don't have to, but don't let it guide your decisions too strongly. Uh, I'm with Doc. I would absolutely salary sacrifice some and the amount you're doing now, plus your employer contribution looks pretty good. I Here's my thing. If I want to retire at 55 or 60 or 62 or 63 or hopefully maybe 45, I'm lucky, um, I, I don't want to have to then frankly go and stack shelves at Woolies just to, to wait until the super is able to be accessed, right? So by locking it up, you get great tax deductions. They are wonderful. Um, the system is fantastic. I'm a massive, massive fan of compulsory super. I think it's awesome. Uh, but I would try and balance, as Doc's already said, the, the money between the two because that gives you the maximum flexibility. You can get to your own account when you want to, the other one down the track, um, but absolutely take advantage of the tax saving as well. Just remember that, that you know flexibility has a cost, but that cost is sometimes worth paying. All right, mate, next one from Daniel. Hey, Scott and Doc. Just wanted to say, I love the podcast. Keep it up. I'm new to the stock market. I'm going to answer this one first unless you've got some ideas, so I'm springing you on this at the last minute. Mm-hmm. I'm new to the stock market. I was wondering if you could recommend any books I could read for a beginner finding their feet and understanding how things work, how to value stocks, etc. Any suggestions are welcome. Thanks, Daniel. Daniel, my couple of thoughts first. There is some really, really wonderful books that are in the kind of the canon of investing uh, thinking. Uh, so I'm going to throw you a couple and Doc will have some different ones. Uh, first one I would grab is the essays of Warren Buffett. You're not surprised to hear me say that. Um, Buffett's annual letters to shareholders over 30 plus years are uh, put in this book. Now they're free on his website, so you could save 20 bucks and do that. But in this book, they're put by they're put together by theme and they're footnoted from memory. Um, a great way to get some really really cool business education straight from the master himself, Warren Buffett. Uh, one up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch, another fantastic book. One up on Wall Street. And stocks, uh, common stocks and uncommon profits by Jeremy Siegel or Phil Fisher. 
Um, I think it's Fisher. Fisher. And then Socks the Long Run by Jeremy Siegel. Um, they are the, the no surprises there. You will see that list everywhere for very, very good reason. They are very good books. Um, don't try and be different uh, necessarily. Um, the, the right education, the right books. They are a really, really, really great way to start. Bowman branch out after that. But any new investor, read those books. If you're wonderful grounding on the value of stocks, the way to pick stocks, think about stocks, um, Beating the Street, another one by, um, by Lynch as well. Doc, do you add to that? Um, yeah. So actually, you stole one of mine. Sorry, uh, mate. <laughs> um, was, so, it, was it Buffett's letters? Uh, so you know what? I actually do not recommend anybody to read the Buffett's letters. Um, and, and, and then Why I have do you a, hate our listeners, Doc? Well, I have a reason for that. <laughs> you know, so I, I actually don't have a problem with what... Uh, I think there is a book that kind of explains Buffett's stuff nicely, mm-hmm. but contextualizes it much, you know, beautifully. Mm. Um, and that is uh, the book called The Little Book That Builds Wealth by Pat Doris. It's really, it's really about a lot of Buffett-esque yeah, stuff nice. yep. uh, put together in a nice, you know, in a book format. Oh, I've thought of another one too, but keep going. Yeah. So I would say that's a good book I to like read. I like that. The Little Book That Builds Wealth. Nice. The Little Book That Builds Wealth, I think, is good. Uh, one Up on Wall Street, I'll echo that as mm-hmm. a great book to read. Um, uh, you know, uh, I'm a little bit on the extreme side, so I'll say 100 Baggers by Christopher Meyer oh, is a fantastic book to yep. read. I'll give one more and then I'll stop. Um, if you want to learn a little bit about you know what's going on in the world and how the world might move, then the third wave by Steve Case, who was Ooh, the founder and the CEO of AOL, uh, including that book has a reference to the Motley Fool as well. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which uh, yeah, as one of the businesses that started on nice. the AOL. Nice. So I'd recommend that book. I think that <laughs> book is a fantastic book to read. I completely agree. I'm going to recommend another one. So we've talked a lot about the theory of investing and Doc's about, about, about some of the bigger winners and the way to think about the change that are happening in investing. The thing we don't ever talk enough about, even though I talk about it all the time, it's that important, is the behavioral side. Uh. The little book of <laughs> behavioral investing I've, I can't recommend it highly enough. This thing is a – there's an insight in almost every single page that I promise you will make you a better investor. We're not allowed to promise anything in investing because ASICs say you can't make these promises. That one I absolutely will take to the bank. I'll happily stand in front of ASIC and explain it. You will be a better investor. I guarantee it after reading a little book of behavioral investing. You can't not be um, – keeping us safe from ourselves and our own monkey brains is a really, really important skill. That James Montier, the little book of behavioral investing. Anything more? You know, those are the top three books I tell or retail are uh, Motley Fool Pro people to read. That's the other thing. Like, think about investing, mate. Is like, it's not about the nth. Like, the, it's not about the the hundred and fifth book you read or the the kind of you know the super cool new cutting edge thing. Like, that can be useful, but like the ninety five percent of your investing returns come from doing the simple things well. And these books we've just talked about are the ones that get you to that point. You can absolutely always improve from there, um, but you know, don't be too esoteric just yet. Read the basics. The basics for a reason. They are the foundation stones of great investing. Mate, question from Dallas. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Dallas says, uh, G'day, Scott and Doc. The wife and I are members of Dividend Investor. Sorry, we're not members of your two platforms. That's all right, Dallas. Um, we're nice people. We'll, we'll talk to you anyway. He says, but we are a little bit conservative. This is coming from Dallas and his wife, Brianna. Uh, or his partner, Brianna. It must be his wife because it's Dallas and Brianna. Uh, only been listening to you two gurus for the last month. Sorry about that too, but catching up on past podcasts nearly every night. Dear, oh dear. Do you reckon it's so we can sleep? Oh, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> to put him to sleep. <laughs> My favorite parts of the mailbags. There we go with all of the broad questions, answers, and views. Notice a few questions from people regarding hedging funds, investing to offset the market volatility and turmoil. I've come to realize from your answers that you two feel it's better to ride the rough and stick with the shares. Please correct me if I'm wrong. 
He says, I always am. But in this case, Dallas, you are not wrong in the slightest. We absolutely believe there's no point wasting money on hedging or insurance type strategies if you have a long-term outlook and you can stand the volatility. You, you don't pay money for peace of mind. That's okay for some if you want to and if you need to. But for everybody else, you're going to get better returns if you don't. He says, I don't think I've heard you two mention anything about gold or questions and answers. Gold always seems to move forward over the long term or go up whenever there is turmoil. I think gold has averaged 8% per annum over the past 15 years. We have an SMSF. Uh, going to get some property. Quickly just run through this. The problem I'm having is with all the number crunching we do, we only seem to get 3 to 5% return on investment from property, maybe a touch better with a bit of capital gains. I think gold has averaged 8%, as he says. I would much prefer gold than property. With your thoughts and ideas, possibly I'm thinking of gold shares as a good portion of the SMSF instead of property and as a better return as well. Is this a possible consideration and something for a discussion with the listeners? Regards, Dal. Doc, gold, SMSF, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, I have, okay, I have a hard time with gold largely because it's again a commodity, commodity play, right? So mm-hmm. you really need to know the commodity cycle. You need to understand, um, you know, the supply and demand and, you know, so the marginal cost of production and all of this <laughs> sounds really fancy. And, it's, you know, it sounds fancy. And it's really, it's tough. Yep. So I, I find uh, gold... Actually, as I've said this before, I've actually <laughs> never made money, I think, on any mining investment I've ever made. You have said that before? Like, uh, like, Very humble it, of you. It was, it's like, you know, it's one of those things that I just can't mm-hmm. get it right. Mm-hmm. So I've just kind of given up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my answer, really. Dal, here's the thing. You, you say you don't want to do hedging strategy and you're right, but then you say, oh, I want some gold instead of the, in case there's market turmoil. Um I have a very, very high... So Warren Buffett has some great stuff on gold. Google Warren Buffett and gold. Um, He is very, 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 very bearish on gold as a market matching or beating investment. I share that pessimism. Um, I just don't think it's worth doing, mate. Miners are hard work and the commodity itself doesn't produce anything. There's no income. There's no inherent capital gain. Maybe the price goes up because there's more demand. That's different to a business that produces more profits year after year, like an Apple or a Berkshire Hathaway or an Amazon or a pick your Tesla, pick your company, um, to use the ones we've talked about already so far in this podcast. So look, just just uh, if you want that volatility, turmoil protection, then by all means, do something else. Just be mindful that is effectively a hedging strategy in and of itself, right? You might be buying, buying a hedging product or options or puts or anything else, um, but you are effectively buying a hedge, you're buying protection. I don't expect gold will do anywhere near as well as shares over the long run. So I would never put it in my SMSF or one for my relatives or someone I was advising. But I have the luxury of the uh, experience of you know a couple of decades in the markets of knowing how markets operate. And so I'm kind of okay to, to, to ride those waves, right? If you need or want the volatility protection, by all means, look for it. I wouldn't personally put something into my SMSF that I didn't think over the long term was going to maximize my returns, even with that volatility. Doc, any other thoughts? No, I think you covered it. These, mate. We've probably got time for another couple. Oh. Announcement time. Drum roll. See, we investigate the sound effects. That's the trumpet sound effect that we bought. Yeah, let's, let's just move on. I okay. think, I I think it's better to move on. Special <laughs> announcement is we're going to have a mailbag episode this week. So whether you love it or hate it, this Sunday, as long as the gremlins are kind, we will have a special mailbag episode for our listeners to try and desperately get through some of these phenomenally wonderful, but a lot of them, uh, mailbag questions. Trumpet at the end or just move on? I think we just move on. Let's move on. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. A uh, couple of questions left. Uh, question from Viet. He says, hi, Scott and Anirban. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. This was sent a couple of weeks ago. As I said, we're still catching up. A question about mortgages. I've had a couple of those. Should I be putting additional money into the 100% offset account 
or making additional repayments. I understand both options will reduce the amount of interest paid monthly equally. We are a couple in our young 30s. Stop showing off. Tracking to be interest-free within five years. Okay, I'm just depressed. Just wondering if it's better to, uh, to be mortgage-free at that point. Or keeping the mortgage account open, paying the minimum required and have the liquid asset that can be used for an investment property or shares. Appreciate your insights for now and the year ahead. Full on, Viet. Doc, what do you do? Do you pay the mortgage off or do you keep the spare money in the offset? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm just jealous of Viet. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the, the 30 and what, what by oh. 30, 35, they're going to be mortgage-free. This, like, this is like awesome. <laughs> well um, done, well done. That's, that's great. We should be coming to you for advice just quietly. Oh, this is, this is, this is great. Now, I'll, 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 just, I'll just say this. Like, mm. Again, this is very general thought. Yep. Um, uh, if, if after having a buffer... I basically look, I would say that, you know, you given that you have a long runway, somebody's got a long mm. runway ahead of them, I think, you know, investing in assets that are going to, um, you know, compound is a good idea. So the stock market in general, I think, is um, is a good place. I'm very bearish on property, or if I'm assuming they're talking about Australian property. I think Australian property is way overpriced at this point, um, especially considering debt to, you know, uh, debt mm. to disposable income ratios. And not everybody is like you, yet where they're mm. looking to pay off in five years. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are not going to be ever been paying off, is, is I think the current scenario. So in that scenario, I don't know mm. how much, you know, again, I've been wrong, but I think I might be right at some point mm. um, you know the, the broken clock is at least correct twice mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah so on that I think shares are just attractive mm. um, investment over property mm. I so here's the thing I whether you yeah to Doc's point if you're going to invest in something after you paid the mortgage off I would also choose shares I think um, the benefit of leverage is the, the big swing factor here so if you can invest one tenth of an asset value then you magnify the gains. Of course, as Doc's already kind of indirectly highlighted, it also magnifies the losses. So you want to be very, very careful you're going to get enough gains to make the interest and, frankly, the risk worthwhile. Um, whether you should pay the mortgage off or keep the money in the offset, that's kind of a personal um, psychological conversation, right? There is such immense lifestyle benefit, frankly, sleep at night benefit, psychological benefit from just having the house paid off. I would never criticize anyone who said, you know what, I'm just going to pay the mortgage off just put it aside, get on with life. I'll start saving again for my future, but at least they, ha- they can't take the house off me. That is phenomenally, phenomenally emotionally powerful. Um, and I think for some people, that's absolutely what you need to do. The rational answer is if you're going to get more with that money as a compound return from investing it, then the interest money you're going to save. In other words, if you're paying the mortgage at 3%, but you can invest and get 5%, you should always invest after tax, of course, I'm talking about here. Um, you should always invest the money if you can get a better return somewhere else rather than paying off the mortgage. So the rational, the hyper-rational answer for those who don't have any feelings, if you're if you're Mr. Spock, and you're from Star Trek, for those who don't know, and you're a Vulcan with no emotions, uh, then there's a very clear rational answer. But at some point, you know what? Living a life that's just comfortable and stress-free and, you know, also, by the way, and I don't, I'm not going to comment on your particular relationship status, but we know that most marital issues come from worrying about money. Um, at some point, just, you know, maybe just paying the mortgage off is the right thing to do. So there is no single answer. There is a rational answer. There is an emotional answer. And for everyone listening, that will be a different decision. Any more, Doc? No, I have nothing to add. Let's keep going, mate. Question from... Who's this one from? It's, look, it's from a uh, Saran. Saran. S-A-R-A-N. My apologies if I've mispronounced that. I've pronounced it a couple of ways. So I hope they've got it right, at least, <laughs> at least on one of those. I'll go with Saran. And uh, feel free to email me if I'm wrong. This is an Insta question, Doc. I, I want a sound effect for Insta questions. Boom. Trumpets. Boom. Boom. Not that one. Okay. Not that one. Uh, <laughs> Hi, guys. I've potentially got a money hack question for your awesome podcast regarding credit cards. 
I'm a frugal spender who invests every dollar they can spare. Sensational. We love that. But recently I've been enticed by some of the sign-up bonuses on certain credit cards. Qantas points, cashback, etc. I've done some research and found that credit card churning is a whole game in itself. Would you have any advice or traps to avoid, in brackets, impact on credit score in relation to credit cards? Is there any place for credit cards in savvy personal finance management? Love all the work that you guys do. And a bit, a bit of a um, the OK symbol on Insta. You know, there's emojis people use these days. Mm-hmm. Kind of, so imagine the, the finger, like the finger and the thumb touching and the fingers up, you know, the OK, you know. It's not really made for audio podcasts, is it? Describing emojis. It's not going to catch I know. on. <laughs> yeah, we need something else. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, mate. What is the advice you got for Saran or Sarah? Oh, this, um, well, you know, I, I, I used to do this. What's that? <laughs> this, uh, this credit card. The credit card, card churn? Uh, yeah, nice, the credit okay. card churn. I, I love and this. And you've stopped. What? <laughs> so the credit card churn, okay. So the, <laughs> so the thing is that, you know, you get a bonus point. You probably get the first year with no fees on a bunch of credit. You can get, you know, you used to get it. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you know, you used to get like 1.5 points for American Express mm-hmm. and, you know, one point for Visa. And, and a lot of banks have cut back on that right yeah. now. So that's what has put me off is that, you know, now you get less bonus to start off and you get less points, you know, so the churn... Um, has become less meaningful, but yeah, I used to do this, and I can see why it's it's attractive. I think the uh, the hot tip I have here is, if your intent was to not pay the fees, <laughs> then mm-hmm. then put you in your beautiful calendar. Uh, I'm assuming it's a Mac, uh, so therefore you know on your iCal you'll put a calendar note saying on the 11th month I'm going to cancel <laughs> credit card and apply for something else. Yeah. Um, uh, I have, you know, at least a few times landed up having the card stay with me for more than 12 months and I've paid the fees. <laughs> and once you pay the fees, I think it doesn't really work out. You're kind of locked out. in, right? Yeah. yeah. Not just that. It's, it's, you know, I think all the benefit <laughs> of the free points basically disappear. <laughs> so, uh, right. but, but, you know, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of Qantas as a brand and I like Qantas you points. You do like Qantas. I love Qantas. It's my favorite airline. <laughs> like, I, if there is somewhere that Qantas flies, I would actually pay the extra dollar. <laughs> Very <laughs> rational uh-huh. to fly on Qantas. It, I really love their service. Airlines are the most irrational purchase thing anyone ever makes. Well, but they, you know, they treat me nicely, you know, oh, and, and they talk nicely. And I like their... <laughs> well, well, it's, it's, right. it's, it's one Australian brand I that hear. I really think, you know, ranks highly I do too, up there. Yep. And I love them. Yep. Uh, so it's a little shout out to Qantas <laughs> here on the podcast. I'm sure uh, <laughs> Alan Joycey is, uh, is, uh, <laughs> is hearing this. Uh, retweet our podcast if you did hear this. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, Alan, yeah. thanks for listening. Alan, thanks for listening. Listening. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, I think watch out for that. I don't know whether it impacts your credit card scores or not i really don't know the number of credit applications you make can impact your credit rating so just be a little bit careful with that i don't know the specifics of it so i'm talking a little bit here half informed we're not credit card experts at the full um so just be a little bit be a little bit careful it's a, it's a valid question to ask now of course if you're not going to take out another loan or many loans it may not be an issue um i'm going to add to your thoughts doc just to say that i think I love the thinking here. I love the frugality. Some people can make a game of it. If you can like live this stuff because it just, just excites you and turns you on and it sounds like, Serena, it might be your thing, then I would say go for it. To your point, Doc, sometimes you forget about it. You pay the annual fee or you forget to roll over the card or whatever. Um, at some level, I think it might be a little bit, I say penny-wise, pound-foolish, the, the idea that you know you save a couple of cents here and there but then you end up costing yourself an annual fee or something else on top of that um, and kind of the whole lot of the good work gets undone for all the hassle and drama of filling out the forms and that kind of stuff. For most people, I would probably say don't bother. Um, if it's your thing and it turns you on, it's fun to do, then by all means do it. But you kind of got to want to do it, right? You can't be dragged kicking and screaming into this. Um, other thing I would say is, is there a role for credit cards in personal finance management? 
only if you paid off every single month in full. No questions, full stop, bottom line, don't even try it. So if you can't pay your card off in, in full every month, you shouldn't be spending that money. The bank doesn't need your 19% per annum more than you do. Um, please don't use credit cards. If you can't pay, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Um, easy for me to say, of course. You know, some people at different stages in their lives. I'm not talking about emergency purchase. If you need a new fridge or car or fix the engine, then of course do that. But um, you shouldn't be spending any money at all ever on your credit card that you can't pay off before the interest-free period finishes. And even then, be very careful of the annual fees. That can be up to 400 or 600 bucks. It gets expensive. Time for one more, Doc. Let's do it. And then we'll come back on Sunday. This one's from Chris. He tweets, pondering the difference between stock holding options like computer share, boardroom, and link market services. In brackets, are there any others? What is the difference? Why do companies list with different ones? Can you combine them? So that was his first tweet. And then he obviously thought about it and said, uh, uh, hey, Scott and Doc, weekly listener and occasional questioner, can you shed any light on the above? Differences between stock holding companies also, can you sell directly through an account with them or do you need access to a broker? Mate, what? Is computer share, link, and boardroom? What do they do? And what's the story with Chris's question? So th these guys at a very high level basically maintain share registries, right? So, I mean, you, you're a registered shareholder uh, for a company. They have that detail. They have your address. They're responsible for sending right. you communication, getting your votes in and all so that. So instead of the company that. having their own database of shareholders yeah. and managing all that shareholder communication stuff, they outsource this to other people who are experts at it. Absolutely. Right. That's what they do. So, I mean, but that's got nothing to do with buying and selling shares. <laughs> uh, if you want to buy and sell the shares, you actually are dealing with your own broker mm -hmm. and you can do it from your computer. <laughs> now, you can sell directly through the registries. But, Could you? Yeah, but it's really painful. You don't want to do it. They have to be issue a sponsored shares. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes with it. I, I, so, Chris, you can. Um, I just, if you, look, if you're a one-off seller, if you got Telstra shares during the float, for example, they would have been issuer sponsored because you bought them straight from the company. If you never converted them to being broker sponsored, then you can sell it back through. I think it's computer share Telstra uses from memory. Um, so you guess you can do that uh, if you want to. Uh, I, the costs are and the paperwork is extraordinary. If you had one share in one company, you want to get rid of that one, then use your, use your, your register absolutely. They, I think, use brokers anyway, but they do it on your behalf. They charge for it, by the way. Um, I don't know any circumstance in which I, I, it would be preferable to use a registrar than, than, a, than an exchange or than a broker. So I, if you're a regular buyer and seller or even an irregular buyer and seller, if you're going to do it more than once, um, use a broker. It's just much, much easier. Doc, can you combine the share registries? Uh, I don't think so because, I mean, that's chosen by the company, right? The Correct. companies choose who they're, you know, outsourcing this job to. So I don't think you have the right. But I, I'm, this is, I don't really pay attention to this stuff that much. <laughs> no, you are dead but, right. You can't combine them. So uh, as you say, each company chooses their own share registry. By definition, they are a, they are a provider, service provider to the company. Um, and each company chooses their own. You can't combine them because you can't make Telstra use Link as their registry or uh, Solpats use Computer Share, for example. I own shares in Solpats and Telstra. For disclosure, you know, I've just mentioned both of those names. Also, I don't own Computer Share. It's a recommendation of ours, though. Um, <laughs> disclosure is hard work sometimes, mate. Um, so, yes, you, you can't combine them. No, unfortunately, you kind of don't need to worry about it. The only thing I would say is just be careful and make sure your details are up to date with each of the registries. Ideally, subscribe for their email communications. Make sure your addresses are there. Each of them have an online portal. You can go and see what shares you own. Great place to find things like um, your buying and selling records, dividend payments, that kind of stuff. So do do get familiar with your company's share registries. It is really painful to have to have three or four of them. I think I've got four with the different companies I own. It's really painful. I wish there was just one, but there's not. There never will be. Um, unfortunately, mate, it's just one of those kind of, yeah, you're just going to have to kind of 
get used to it. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, it is it is the company's choice of who they choose as their registrar. Now, is it annoying? Yes. Would it be even more annoying if each company had their own registry separately? Yes. If you own 20 companies, you'd have to deal with 20 different registries. So at some level, it's annoying. It's less annoying than it might be, quite honestly. Any more thoughts on that, Doc? No, I really have no thoughts on registries. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most boring topic you've ever been asked about, isn't it? Well, as you know, I didn't actually. This, this is something I didn't really think about. I, I mean, you know, I should probably now be you thinking. Know. And now I know about now it. You know. So. Mate, the good news is for you, we're done <sighs> for today. Oh, oh. We'll be back Sunday. You ready to come back in the studio on Sunday morning and record? Oh, yeah, definitely. Virtual Sundays. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but for now, at least, for Friday. That does wrap us up. The last day of January. Mate, how, how fast has January gone? January's gone. Mate, it was like New Year's Day, like yesterday. Now it's bloody... Anyway. Good news is we're getting closer to footy season. Pretty excited about that. I had a, I had a listener email us during the week who was a Rabbitohs fan who said he really shouldn't take advice from me because I'm a Roosters fan. I, I, I think that is a very valid point. Oh, come on. Come Be, on be because, you know, you know, the fandom is a completely different thing, right? And how can a fan take an advice from the fan from the opposite club? Well, the problem is not the advice. The problem is the club he supports. Well, that's never the problem. If he changed clubs, everything would be fine. Well, that's true, but why would you do that? Go, you mighty roosters. Back to back to back <laughs> this year. That wraps us up, mate. Before we go, don't forget, listeners, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. Please do through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Five stars would be appreciated. Leave a review. Tell your friends... Who couldn't use a little bit more foolishness in their lives? Don't forget, you can also get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox. I send out a couple of emails a week, plus you get some marketing from us, so full full disclosure. Um, you can get it straight to your inbox by, by going to fool.com.au forward slash doc. Triple M. Triple M. And of course, as I said before, you can get a really great deal on Motley Fool. Share advice of the service I run by going to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.